0: If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian, and I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here, whether you're joining us online or in person. We just want you to know that we're so thrilled that you're here, and we're so expectant for what God's going to do. And so uh, I just wanted to start with a quote. It's one of my all-time favorite quotes, and it's from uh, this theologian. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's from uh, the office. His name is Andy Bernard, and this is what he says. He says, I wish there was a way to know that you are in the good old days before you'd actually left them. I'll say it again. I wish there was a way to know that you are in the good old days before you'd actually left them. Isn't that true? You know, this has kind of become a mantra in the baron's home. We frame it a little bit different because we're not asking a question. We want to make it a statement. We say, these are the good old days. Is that's something that I say around my house quite a bit. These are the good old days. I try and say it all the time. Sometimes it's in the best moments, the sweetest moments, and the kids are behaving and everything's going good. And these are the good old days. And the inverse is also true. So I also say it when life is tough. I say these are the good old days because the truth is the truth, regardless of what's going on in a moment. And the invitation in that statement, friends, is to look for the beauty that God's placed before you today. Like, don't miss out On the beauty that God has put right in front of your face. And this week I've been realizing that it's really easy to appreciate something when it's new. Whether it's a new phone, or a new computer, or a new car, or a new house, or especially a new relationship because we just get these goggles on and it's so easy to appreciate this thing that we've just been given. In new relationships, it's like, wow, like I've been given the perfect person never before as a more perfect person existed in the history of the world and the love that we have is clearly the greatest love the world's ever seen. Anybody ever experienced this? It's called the honeymoon phase and it's beautiful and it's great, but it's short-lasting. But the inverse is also true. It's really easy to appreciate something when it's gone. I was thinking about this in the context of artists and musicians and politicians and painters and forward thinkers. Even Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't actually embraced in a meaningful way until he was actually gone. There's something in our souls that makes it easier to appreciate something when it's already passed. And so the real challenge for you and I today is to see and to celebrate and to appreciate the moments that we have. In the middle. And so this week, I want to call the message Finding Joy in the Middle. Finding Joy in the Middle. And it's more than just finding joy, it's about finding peace, it's about finding hope, it's about finding strength to actually move forward, even when you're in the middle of something and you don't know when the ending line is going to be. But it's finding joy in the middle. And I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, This one's for you. If you're online, you can say, This is for me. Finding joy in the middle because whether you know it or not finding joy in the middle isn't just something that happens it's something that we learn it's actually a mindset that we put on and that we actually practice and practice and practice and practice and so I want to pray for us and then we're going to get into today's Bible story so Holy Spirit we are so thankful that you are here God we just acknowledge your presence in this place God just not not just sitting over us but actually in us you are in us you're working through us and so Holy Spirit we just love you We want to be like you. We want to leave this place changed. So God, I pray, um, God, that we would just be so disinterested and dissatisfied with another idea that we can stick in our pocket. God, we want ideas that actually move us, and we know that the only ideas that move us are the ideas that come from you. So God, we pray for a newfound revelation of your love for us. God, would you help us to set our minds on you, and God, would we move out of this place different than we came? God, you are so good. This is all for you. We ask all this in God's name. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen. So today we're going to be in Joshua 6. If you have been around the church for a while, you would know the story as the Battle of Jericho. And if you're new to church, first of all, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And a little bit of context for you just to grasp the importance. Because this isn't just another battle, this is a particularly significant battle for Joshua and his people. Because what Jericho represents is the gateway into the land that they've been promised all the way back in Genesis. If you've heard about the promised land, this was the gateway, this was the first city that they needed to take to enter into Canaan, which was the promised land of God. And so... What this scripture really shows us, it's not just a story, what it shows us is that there's a difference between receiving land and actually living in that land. There's a difference between God giving you a promise and you actually experiencing and like living out that promise. And I was thinking about it this way, I don't know if this will help you, but it helped me. I was thinking, you can have something that's been completely paid for. You can have something in a store somewhere that has your name on it, it is yours. And yet you still have to go pick it up so that you can put it in your pocket and experience it in your life. I was thinking a lot of times, I believe, when it comes to our Christian walks, we don't actually pick up all the things that God has already paid for for us. We stop short of actually living in the lands that God says are ours because we get lost in the middle. We lose our vision, we lose our perspective, and we stop short of experiencing the promises in the way that God created us to. And so what this story is about is actually seizing what was already theirs. And we're going to start in verse 1. So Joshua 6, verse 1, you can read along if you've got your Bibles, pull those out. Uh, If not, it's going to be up on the screen for you. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And so I want to stop right there because there's already a tension that exists in this text. Let me read it for you again. It says, Now the gates of Jericho are securely barred, but then Jesus says, or God says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And so it's it's this tension that exists because God says, I've given you the city, but Scripture says that the gates are securely barred the doors are closed, the defenses are up. I don't know if you guys see the issue here, but God's saying, I have given you the victory. I have promised them victory, and yet there's no white flags that are being waved. There is no defenses that are down. It just looks like they are ready for battle. And I say this so that you will know that sometimes there's gonna be moments in your life where what you see doesn't look like what God said. But that doesn't mean That you stop short of the promises because as long as you still have the promise of God before you and the presence of God beside you, then we have full permission and it is our right in Jesus to continue to move forward. Amen? And so we're going to continue the story. Even though what they see doesn't match up with what God said, God says, I've given you the city, and yet it still seems like the city looks pretty secure. This is how God says that they're going to conquer it. God tells Joshua in verse 3, it says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Then do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So they're going to finally get to receive the promise that God had given them all those years before. And so this is such an important moment because this is the land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the land that Moses was bringing his people to but could never set his foot on. This is an epic moment, but you will miss like the epicness all weekend. I don't think that's a word, but I just keep going for it. The epicness of this moment unless we understand what actually happened before. You know when we think of the battle of Jericho what we think about is walking around the walls but rarely do we ever realize that the story started way earlier because they've actually been walking around the wilderness for 40 years. And I don't know if you know this but 40 years it's it's a long time to wait. 40 years is a long time to wait nod your heads like this if you agree with me. We'll see how far we can take this 40 days is a long time to wait. 40 hours, for somebody like me, feels like a long time to wait. We'll try 40 minutes, feels like an eternity. 40 seconds, if I'm sitting there and Netflix isn't loading, in 40 seconds I'm starting to question God's existence. I'm like, God, why is this happening to me? (laughs) 40 seconds is a long time to wait, but 40 years, they wait and they wander. They're in the middle. They've been given a promise and yet they don't even see the end in sight. And I mean, I was just thinking about this idea that we are at such a disadvantage these days because we're in a culture that is all about instant gratification. We just don't have to wait anymore. I mean, I remember when I used to have to wait. I remember dial-up. Anyone remember dial-up? I remember when like, browsing the internet meant that you clicked a picture, then you went away, had lunch, came back, and saw how much of it had loaded. I remember that, seeing the pixels one at a time, like, load through the Gateway 95. Like, I I remember road trips without iPads. So it's not that I don't remember what waiting is. It's just that I'm not actually conditioned to really do it right now. And what I want to tell you is that so much of this story is about waiting. Even before the story started, it was 40 years of waiting and wandering and keeping our focus on the promises of God. Now, I believe that God wants us to know that your waiting isn't in vain. He sees you, he knows you, he's with you, and he is faithful, even if you are in the middle. God's faithfulness is always in front of you. And so now we're going to read the rest of the story. Even in the waiting, Joshua kept going. So I'm going to read a few verses for you, and it's going to seem like the verses we just read, because God just told Joshua what they were supposed to do, and then they actually had to do what they were supposed to do. And that's in life, sometimes we hear what God wants us to do, but then we actually don't do it. So this is them being faithful. So this might sound the same, but this is expectations meeting reality, good intentions meeting actions. And so this is the actions of the people. So verse 6 says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead and the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. So they're making progress. They're moving forward. Verse 9 says the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. So we got a lot of trumpets in this story. They're just going. Verse 10, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day that I tell you to shout. And it's interesting, he says until the day, but he doesn't tell them which day it's going to be. That's going to become important later. Verse 11 says, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Almost there, got three more verses. Verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once more and returned to camp. And they did this for six days. They did this for six days. Everybody say six days. I don't have a great reason for making you do that. I just know that that was a lot of text. Wanted to make sure that you're still with me. So six days. Six days. Because these people had just got done with 40 years of waiting and wandering. And now they're wandering around a wall still waiting for something to happen. And it must have just felt like more of the same. They just are doing more of what they've always been doing. You know, there's sometimes that we actually see the walls, we think something's going to change, and then it's just more of the same. I was thinking, even last night, I was like, this is what 2020 was. We're like, oh, thank God, 2021's here. And then it's just more marching, and it's more walking around the walls, more waiting for something to change. And then 2021 gets done, and we're like, oh, yes, thank God, finally 2022's here. And it's more walking, and it's more walls, and we're still waiting for something to change. And what I love about this story is that through all that ambiguity, they keep moving forward, they keep marching, they keep the promise of God central in their life. And what is so inspiring is that they're actually able to take new ground, they're able to seize a promise that nobody else before them was able to seize. But what I want to actually do with the rest of our time today is talk about three reasons why we stopped short. Three reasons, even in this story, three opportunities that they had to stop short where they actually just kept marching forward. And the first reason simple. The first reason is this. Oftentimes we stop short of God's promise because the battle doesn't look the way that we thought it would. Sometimes the battle doesn't look the way that you think it's going to. This week, I was really trying to get inside this story and think about what they were thinking about and experience this story from their perspective. And they'd been wandering for 40 years, dreaming about taking this city the soldiers had. And in their minds, they already had a picture of what that was going to look like. I don't know if you've ever been there. You've thought about a moment in your future that you just played over and over. You visualize that you feel like you actually know what it's going to be like. And call me crazy, but I bet that their dreams about this day didn't actually match up with what God asked them to do. Because these guys show up on the scene ready to wage war on Jericho, ready to take new ground. It's been 40 years of waiting and they are like, let's do this. And instead of waging war, Jacob tells them, suit up. They're like, yes, this is great. And then he says, we're going for a walk. We're gonna go walk around Jericho. And if I were them, I'd be like, come again? Like, I am here to seize Jericho. I came in here to crack some skulls, and now you're telling me that I'm supposed to be part of the marching band. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. This is not what I dreamed this day would feel like. Like, I'm here to actually use my sword, and you're telling me that we're gonna take this city with the sounds of our voice, with a shout. This just feels ridiculous. See, the battle wasn't the battle that they were expecting, and far too oftentimes, friends, we stop short because God's methods don't line up with our expectations. Because we're not just worried about what God's going to do, we're worried about how God wants to do it, and we have it in our minds what it's going to look like. We have it in our minds what it's going to feel like, and when God asks us to do something that isn't actually in alignment with our expectations, oftentimes we just shut it down, and we stop short because we view our methods as more important than whatever God's mission is. And God's saying, no matter what the mission is, no matter what I ask you to do, we've got to do it. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be obedient to what God has actually called us to do. So that means that if God says, shout, even if you're not really the shouting type, you should shout. And if God says, march, we should march, because even if it looks foolish, and even if it looks pointless, and even if it makes no sense in your eyes, you can be confident of this. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Amen? Amen. Don't stop short because the method that God is using doesn't match up with the alignment of whatever your expectation is. Don't stop short if God asks you to do something and you're like, oh, that's not really my thing. Do it, do it, do it. Keep stepping forward. The second reason we stop short is because we don't see any progress. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm very motivated by actually seeing the progress in my life. I like to not only see things finished, I like to see things along the way, and I like to see them as they start to take form. But sometimes our expectations of what the progress should look like actually get in the way of us trusting the process. And Here's what I mean. This is slightly hyperbolic, slightly exaggerated, but it's not that far from the truth, friends. I'm one of these guys that I'll go work out at the gym for six days straight, and if I look in the mirror at the end of the week and still don't look like Brad Pitt, it's like they feel like something must be busted. Something's not working here. I'm not getting the results that I signed up for. Give me the Ben and Jerry's. I'm over this. I'm throwing in the towel. Like, I want to actually see results almost instantaneously. I want to see the progress now. And if you look at this story, day one, they say, Get your boots on, get your swords. We're going to go march. They march around Jericho. They go back to camp, and nothing happens. Then the next day, they march around Jericho. They go back to camp and nothing happens. Third day, they march around the city, go back to camp, nothing happens. Fourth day, around Jericho, back to camp, nothing happens. Fifth day, sixth day, scripture says they did this for six days, and nothing happened, nothing visible changed. And somebody who was in this marching band must have just been thinking, man, I thought something would have changed by now. I thought we'd start to see some progress, maybe a crack in the wall, maybe some bricks are starting to fall down, but they didn't get anything. If it was me, I'd be like, God, come on, give me some bricks, give me some thunder, give me some lightning when I get back to camp, zap a couple of these guys in Jericho just so I know that you're moving and that we're going on the right direction. Give me a vision, give me a dream, just give me something so that I can know that what I'm doing is working. I wanna see progress. I wanna see that the work that I'm putting in isn't gonna be in vain. Friends, I don't mind hard work, but if you're anything like me, you know that I want to know that what I'm working on is working. I don't mind spending the time. I just want to know that what I'm spending my time on isn't in vain. I don't mind having blisters on my feet if I'm walking in a direction. I just want to know that the destination's going to be worth it, and I need to see progress along the way. But friends, just because you don't see the progress doesn't mean that God's not working. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that God's not there. And far too oftentimes we stop short of God's promise because we don't see the progress that we're looking for. And we start to believe the lie that if we can't see the progress, then whatever we're doing must be pointless. I'm just walking and nothing's happening. Just walking and nothing's happening. Just walking and I can't see anything shift or change we start to believe that whatever we're doing must be pointless and maybe this is where you're at right now in your in, in your walk with the lord maybe you've been reading the bible for a long time and you're still struggling with addictions maybe you've been praying for healing for a really long time and you still feel sick maybe you're like trying to give god of your resources but it doesn't seem like you're getting anything back from it it's just getting tighter at home and you're putting in all this work but nothing's changing and you're thinking clearly this isn't getting me where i want to go so why should i keep going Why should I keep just absolutely putting everything that I have in this direction if I'm not seeing any results? I don't know who this is for, but I feel like God sent me here because somebody's thinking about stopping short of the promise. And you've been reading and you've been doing everything that you can to actually get in alignment with God, but you're not seeing the results. And I came here, I believe God sent me here to say, keep going. Keep going, even though you might not see the progress, keep going. Your progress isn't pointless. Just because you've done six laps around the Jericho and you haven't seen anything stop yet, it doesn't mean that you're not six laps closer to the victory that God's promised you. Maybe you've been walking in a direction for six days and you fall over, but what the devil will try and say is if you fall over, you're back at the starting line. That's an absolute lie. You're still six days closer to the promise that God's given you. So keep going, get back up, keep moving in the direction of God. Just because you can't see the progress doesn't mean that God's not in it and that He's going to be faithful to complete the work. Keep moving forward, you're closer than you think. The third reason we stop short is because we want to know more of the plan. You know, in high school and in college, I was a swimmer. And I tell people that now, and they're like, really? You were an athlete? And I'm like, first of all, that's offensive that you raised your voice like that to me, but that's that's okay, I, I get it, but that's not the point. Here's the point, I used to swim. I used to swim in high school and into college, and when I swam, I used to count. And here's what I would count, every length of the pool was 25 yards, so when I was swimming, I would count 25, 50, 75, 100, 125, 150, 175, 200. I would just count, that's what I would do. Numbers were just constantly going through my brain. 25, 50, 75, 100, 100, 25, 100, 50, 75, 200. And what those numbers would tell me was exactly how far I'd come and exactly how far I had to go. 25, 50, 75, 100, 50, 100, 25, 100, 50, 75, 200. Those numbers would tell me when I was supposed to sprint and when I could take a rest. Those numbers would tell me exactly how much work I'd done and exactly how much work was still in front of me. It helped me pass the time. It helped me stay in a rhythm. It helped me stay motivated. It helped me to keep going even when every muscle in my body felt like it wanted to quit. But the reason that I could count was because I always knew how many laps I had left. And if you don't have a lap count, if you don't know how long the race is going to be, then there's no use counting because you could just be counting into infinity, and it's no longer a sport, it's just some cruel form of torture, because why would you count if there's no end in mind, and if this, in this story, what I'm seeing is the, the, the battle doesn't look the way that they thought that it would. They came with their swords, and God says, you're actually going to shout, and they've been circling around the city day after day after day after day after day after day, after day and nothing visible has changed yet. But I'd say that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that they, know, they have no idea how many laps they have left in the race. If you go back and look, Joshua tells them that there's going to be a day where they're going to be asked to shout, but he doesn't tell them when that day is going to be. And so every morning they get up and it's not, hey, we have this many more laps to go. They just are asked to do laps. And on some day that's in the future, they're going to be asked to shout So every morning they have no idea how much is left and they're just told to keep walking. And that to me is enough to drive a person crazy. And by the way, this is why this season is killing you. It's not because it's hard. It's not because there's people that are sick. It's not because there's tension. It's not because you're lonely. It's because of all of those things in uh, tandem with the fact that you have no idea how many laps are left. You have no idea how much of the race is still in front of us. It's like God, like if, if you told me that it was fifty yards, I could do another fifty yards. It's not the distance that's killing me, it's the not knowing. And if you told me whether this was a sprint or a marathon, I could position myself and I could strategize and actually portion out my energy so that I can make it to the end of the race. But if I don't know, how am I supposed to keep moving forward? And it got me thinking, oftentimes, people fall short of God's promise because they can't handle the not knowing. They can't handle the ambiguity. They can't handle the fact that I can't see the finish line yet. They can't handle the fact that they can't see the entire picture. And it got me thinking, why does God do this? And in this story, why does Joshua do this? Why doesn't he let the rest of his team in on his plan? And it actually got me to a place where I was looking at Psalm 119 this week. And Psalm 119, 105 is very famous. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's always encouraged me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Ra- raise your hand if you've ever heard that verse before. Raise your hand if you ever sang that verse in church. I was thinking about singing it, and then I was like, nah, that's okay. We'll we'll skip that part and just get to the essence of this. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. So what can we take from this verse? We can take that God has given us a lamp. God's given us a lamp. And for those of you who are wondering, I do want to make it known that this is not an exact replica of the lamps that were talked about in the biblical times. This was, in fact, a lamp that I stole from my daughter on my way to work yesterday out of her room. So... Just to be clear, this is not an exact replica but God has given you a lamp. And here's what we know about lamps. Lamps are great. Lamps are useful. Lamps are helpful. But what I'm realizing in lamps is that they don't actually give off the type of light that we crave when we're in the middle. So what lamps do, this one's extremely bright, but what they do is they actually light up the surroundings that are right around you. And so it's The the, the lamps in the Bible that they were actually talking about were these little oil lamps, and the type of flame that they would actually put out is actually more similar to one that's in a lighter. So God's given you a lamp, and it looks kind of like this. And so what it does is it it shows you just your immediate proximity. And so what I realized is that what we crave when we're in the middle isn't just to see what's directly around us. When we're in the middle, what we want to see is the bigger picture. We want to see what's next. We want to see what's up ahead. When we're in the middle, what we really want is a spotlight that can shine on where we're going. We want a bigger picture of what God is doing. And I brought this guy. This is the closest that I've got to a spotlight. And I don't want to shine anybody crazy because it's, it's, but what we want to see is we want to see more of what's in front of us, not just what's directly in front of us. We want to see what's coming. What we crave is a bigger picture when we're in the middle. And that creates a challenge for us Because here's the problem We crave a spotlight We crave a flashlight That's going to give us more context But what God has given us Is a lamp I was thinking Why would he do this? And I think that it's because Even though we want to see what's next God actually wants to show us What's right in front of us And even though we want to see our future God actually wants to just Actually cast a little bit of light And show us What's just in our present surroundings I believe it's because even though we wanna see what will be, God wants to show us what is right in front of us. I believe we want to see the destination, but God wants to actually show you what your next step is. So instead of giving us a flashlight that can actually cast light into the far places that are far away, he actually gives us a little light, a little lamp that's just enough to actually see the blessings that are all around us, that it's just enough to see the context so that we can take a next step and not know, or and actually know where the snares are so that we can step around what we need to step around. And what we're so fixated on is the middle is what is next? What is the future going to be like? And God says, yes, the future is there and it's something that I want you to be a part of, but what I want you to do is actually have faith for the future and have light just enough so that you can see your blessings today. So even though you want a spotlight, what God has given you is a lamp that's actually called to just give you exactly what you need in the moment. And I used to be so frustrated by this. I used to ask, even in my context, God, what do you want from my life? Will you give me a vision of the future so I can just see it and we can start taking off after it together? But it seemed like the more that I would ask, God would just keep giving me just a little bit at a time. I said, God, will you give me more? And he just said, no, I'm just going to give you enough to keep moving forward. And what I realized is that I would ask God what I wanted to do 10 years from now. And God would say, no, I'm not going to tell you that, but I'll tell you how to be faithful in the next 10 minutes. And the further down the road I got, the more that I saw that this was a blessing, not a curse, because what that did is since he just gave me a little bit at a time, it meant I had to keep going back to him. If he gave me 10 years, we could just take off together, but if he gives me 10 minutes, then I gotta go back in 10 minutes and say, God, I need more direction. God, I need more wisdom. God, I need to come back to the well and get a little bit more sustenance. God, I need to come back to you and put my ear to the ground and say, God, where are you taking me right now? So oftentimes, we actually ask for more of the big picture. And what the big picture does sometimes is it makes us less reliant on God. It makes us actually unaware of the fact that we need God to not just get us to our future, but we need God to actually be faithful to direct our next step. Because sometimes the very things that we're asking for end up be the things that actually take our eyes off of Him. So God doesn't tell the whole nation the whole plan because that would take the mystery out of the plan. And sometimes it's the mystery that draws us close to God. And friends, in the middle, in the mystery, a lot of times we might be a little bit uncomfortable, but God's less comfortable or less interested in our comfort than he is in our trust. And he says, I need you to trust me for the things that you can't see, and I need you to use this lamp to see the blessings that are placed right in front of you. Don't miss the fact that these are the good old days. Don't wait until the very end to look back and see, oh man, I had so many things right in front of me that I didn't see because I was so focused on my future. Friends, our God is far better than we give him credit for. He says, I know you want a spotlight, but I've given you a lamp. Just because you want to see your final destination doesn't mean that I'm not going to be faithful to guide are every step. And the lamp is an invitation to be present, even when we're in the middle. And the lamp is an invitation to take another step, even when you can't see far ahead. And a lamp is an invitation to see the beauty right in front of you, even when you want to see what's next. I've even got this picture right in this moment when you're driving in the fog. Your your brights don't actually cast light on the things that you need to see. When you put your vision up, it's actually impossible to see what's forward. What you need is something that just shows you what's right in front. And in the middle, there's a fog and we wanna see what's forward, but God wants to show us right what's before. Friends, aren't you glad that God gives us what we need instead of what he wants or what we want? And so the rest of the story goes like this Even though the Israelites don't have all the information they would have liked They decide to keep moving forward because they're focused on God's promise And on the seventh day they march seven times around the city And then the trumpets sound and the armies shout And the walls come tumbling down and they take the city Because God is always faithful to complete that which he starts And it's because they kept moving forward even in the middle And I once heard this quote about the middle that changed the way that I wait. I think it's so profound and so beautiful. And so I included it in your notes, and it'll be up on the screen too. And it was Bobby Houston who said this. She said, If you are not hearing God's voice clearly in this season, then you should probably just keep doing the last thing he told you to do. It's not foolishness. It's called faithfulness. So if you're not hearing God's voice clearly in this season then you should probably just keep doing the last thing he told you to do. I believe that's the mindset that we're called to in the middle just keep doing the last thing that God told you to do. Keep loving people. Keep loving God. Keep trusting in God. Keep building up your confidence in Him. Keep looking back and see how He sustained you and actually propel that forward into the confidence to take another step. Keep pulling out that lamp and seeing the blessings that are around you and the context that you need to take another step and take another step so that you can be moving in the direction of God's calling. If you don't hear God's voice, that doesn't mean He isn't speaking. That means that there's an invitation to go back and to look at the last thing He told you to do and it's not foolishness friends. It's called faithfulness And god is faithful and he's called us to be a faithful people who take steps even when we can't see the whole picture and I believe there's joy in the middle When we put our faith into what god says not what we see Our hope isn't in seeing the progress the way that we want to see it Our hope isn't in knowing the whole plan. Our hope is in the promise of god and his promises are always true. Amen Amen Amen. So let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, God, we just pray that you would give us a mindset that remembers when our eyes are drawn up that sometimes you're drawing our eyes down. God, to see where our next step is gonna take. God, you call us to be a people, God, who actually move by faith, not by sight. So Jesus, would you give us the faith to take another step, even in the muck, take another step, even in the fog, God, and trust that each one of those steps that we take is gonna actually bring us closer to you and your plan for our life. God, would we have less trust in our ability to see the finish line and more trust to believe that if we take a step that you're gonna be faithful to guide us? God, you're a God who guides your people. You're a God who guides our steps. You're a God who cares so uniquely and perfectly for each one of us. And God, we just pray that that would rest on our hearts today. God, would our mindset be that we're not married to our methods. We're not married to our expectations. We're married to being obedient to you. God, we wanna be a faithful people. God, would you give us the vision to see that sometimes our vision is best when we look at what's close. God, we're in the middle. Would you help us take a next step? Would you help show us what that means? God, would you help us see that even if we don't see the progress that you're still working? We love you, Lord. This is all for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.